So I wanted to offer up a few questions tonight just to let percolate in your consciousness a little bit because I had intended to offer these questions up tonight, but while I was sitting, I got some ideas about something else I wanted to speak about. So I'll just leave you with the questions, see if they evoke any kind of reflection, then I'll just move on. Uh, the question, the first question that I wanted to ask or offer is, what are you practicing? And uh, second question, similar vein, how is your practice a practice? How is it a practice? What makes your practice a practice? That's just another way of saying the same thing. So are you practicing for an end? Or is the end here already? Another way of asking this, is there a destination for your practice other than here and now? And what do you imagine it might be if it's not here and now? Does your practice take you further from your destination or does it bring you closer? I think that's enough for now. <laughs> what are you practicing? Leave it as simple as that. So tonight, somehow it came to me while I was offering the initial instructions came to me to highlight the, the equal opportunity that every experience offers for the, for the strengthening, for the cultivation of continuity of presence or continuity of awareness. Whether it is a sensation that's felt, breath felt, whether it's a mood or emotion, whether it's a sound, whether it's a thought or an image. If that experience is met with attention, with all the qualities that come with attention, which is a sense of uh, comprehension, sense of interest, feeling of immediacy, the sense of the feeling of gathering, and then the sustains, uh, sense of sustaining that connection. Any experience that can be noticed uh, is an equal opportunity for that kind of training. But it's actually even juicier than that. Because each experience, as I mentioned, really a description of our life, each, each experience that we have from the moment we wake up in the morning till the moment we go to sleep, from the moment we are born till the moment we die, 
Every experience is accompanied by some valence, some tone, some what's called vedana or feeling tone. Vedana is the Sanskrit or Pali word for feeling tone. Every experience comes accompanied with a feeling tone of pleasantness, unpleasantness, or neither pleasant or unpleasant. Sometimes, most often call that neutral, but it's neutral is not exactly, doesn't quite capture it. It's just neither pleasant or unpleasant. So I was practicing tonight, and so my practice can change from period to period. But I practice a lot attuning to the feeling tone that's accompanying whatever it is that I'm experiencing. And I try not to just save it for the times when it's obviously unpleasant. Those unpleasant moments naturally tend to draw our attention more acutely. That's why being able to practice with pain, at least in some of the older teachings, some of the older sutras, discourses, practicing with pain was considered the number one springboard to awakening. Because there's something about pain that if one can allow their attention to connect with it, it will gather the attention very effortlessly and the mind will just become very uh, naturally concentrated. It's not something that one man has to hold uh, in, in order to, you know, to be with that experience. It just pulls you in. But feeling tone is both unpleasant and pleasant and also neither pleasant or unpleasant. Why is this significant? Why should this be such a, such a um, juicy area of practice? It turns out that this domain of our experience is happening every single moment of our life. This is the place in our experience where we are able to either accommodate what's present or our mind goes into a state of reaction, goes into reactivity. And it is at the heart of the cause of distress. If you have distress in your life, the only way that you can have distress in your life is if your mind is in a state of reactivity. When your mind is not in a state of reactivity, you are not in distress. You do not have mental suffering. So it seems important that we do everything in our power. This may not be what you practice, this is what I try to practice. I try to do everything in my power to, to balance or lessen the amount of reactivity in my mind to lessen the amount of uh, grasping that my mind falls into uh, for pleasant experiences, trying to hold them, trying to replicate them, trying to make them bigger, trying to achieve them, trying to 
whatever one does with pleasant experience that produces a state of of reaction, a state of holding. I try to limit that amount of, of my mind holding in a state, I call it, whenever I'm in a state of holding, tension, distress, I'm in a state of what I call suspended happiness. Suspended relief, suspended ease, suspended peace, suspended freedom. And when I deprive myself, when I'm in a state of reactivity, I deprive myself the natural peace and freedom that is, uh, that's available to any of us at any time. Regardless of what is entering any of, the, any of our senses, whatever we're experiencing. Now we usually associate whether we're feeling distressed or not, whether there's the presence, we usually associate the lack of distress with the presence of pleasant experience in our life. And distress is associated with the presence of unpleasant experience. But that's a, it's a, mis, it's a misunderstanding. It's a distortion of understanding. It's confusion. It's delusion. Because pleasant experience is just pleasant. There's no, it's, it's just pleasant. And what turns pleasant experience into a source of tension is trying to hold it. Unpleasant experience is not suffering. It's just unpleasant. What turns it into suffering, mental suffering, distress, is our um, inability to accommodate it, is our reaction to it, our not liking it, our fear of it our anger about it, our hatred, our ill will, all the kinds of forms of reactivity that turn the inevitable unpleasant experience into mental suffering. And what turns, and then the neutral experience, what turns that into a source of, of reactivity is that we tend to, when an experience is neutral, just because we're so conditioned to seek out pleasurable or avoid unpleasurable experience, and the dramas that come with both of those, we tend to, when a neutral experience arises in our life, it's neither pleasant or unpleasant, we get bored, or we just space out. Or, and when we space out and get bored, this becomes a, a seed of a different kind of reactivity, which is called, um, which is, well, not a different kind of reactivity, but either, either the reactivity of trying to find something pleasurable, something stimulating, or trying to, uh, or imagining, remembering something that's not so pleasant and then ruminating about it, remembering it over and over again. And often this springs from a moment that was where there was not a lot going on because we're not used to those moments where there's not, not a lot going on. We haven't learned how to hover in a state of quiet, in a state of simplicity. 
we're not comfortable with it. And so often that the, the initial neutral feeling is followed by then an unpleasant feeling, a little restless, a little agitation. One of the ways that the neutral is reacted to is, is our, both our mind gets busy and so does our mouth. We start talking, inner talk and outer talk. I know I've shared in past weeks the passage from Cahill Gibran where he said that people can't, who can't be with the quietness in their heart live in their lips. There was a time when I couldn't be with the quietness of my heart and I lived in my lips and somebody gave me that passage as a Christmas gift. That's why I keep repeating. <laughs> uh, but the neutral, if, one, if the pleasant is able to be accommodated without reactivity, we can experience the, the great joy of pleasure, the great joy of pleasurable sense experience, the joy of, of, of the the array of pleasantness that is available to our senses. We would not have these senses if, if they didn't come, if they didn't uh, awaken in us some kind of gladness, some kind of happiness, some kind of joy. But our mind, our mind doesn't, um, it, it doesn't, it's not usually present with the pleasant experiences. And so when a pleasant experience, we can't even accommodate the pleasure. So our mind immediately goes into reaction. I like that. I want that. I have to have more of it. And then pretty soon we're, not at, we're no longer experiencing the pleasure of a, of a meal or a, or a good company. We're planning the next visit or we're planning the next meal or our fork is, is, entering, is spinning again back into the plate. We call it the helicopter arm. We don't actually savor our food, savor our good company. So we deprive ourselves of great joy of the senses by not being able to accommodate the pleasant, being caught in a state of wanting, and then with that a state of becoming. Can't accommodate the neutral. And if we could accommodate the neutral, we would our mind would relax into um, a, another kind of joy, a joy of, of balance, a joy of equanimity, a joy of our mind not moving so much. A great ease comes into our hearts when we're not reactive. That still the joys and the sorrows come, but we are able to remain, uh, and we feel it all full range of emotions, but there, there is a, we awaken in ourselves a substratum of peace, of balance, that allows us to sit in the middle of whatever's going on. But we have to get to know that. How do we get to know it? By 
We get to know it by sitting in the middle of things, of course, by experiencing the whole range of life and experiencing it with a wide view that, and where we understand that joys and sorrows are inevitable, so we're not always in such reaction to the, to the sorrows or such reaction to the joys. But we also, we also develop it by learning how to just be quiet and connect with the, with the, the quiet that is never touched by whatever it is that's happening. The quiet that is, the, you could say, the very nature of our mind. One of the qualities of the nature of our mind is silence. And it's easily missed. And it's the silence that allows us to be able to reflect to, for the noise and all the sounds of the world to be reflected. It's the, it's the polarity. So what, that which knows noise is silent. That which just like that which knows the pleasant is neither pleasant or unpleasant. That which knows the unpleasant is neither pleasant or unpleasant. It's balanced, quiet, neutral, open, balanced, equanimous. So the culmination of all of the different lists of the Buddha's teachings anyway, and you find this in different, different traditions as well, but in the Buddha's teaching, the last of the seven factors of enlightenment, the factors of the qualities of mind that develop as one practices, <coughs> the last of the seven factors of enlightenment is the quality of equanimity, balance. The last of the, of the immeasurable qualities, the, the, what are called the divine abodes, the heart qualities of love and compassion, joy, the last one is equanimity. The last of the so-called perfections, the paramis, the qualities that evolve as one practices and can, can be enhanced to the point of, of perfection, parami. The last of the, uh, both on both lists, of the Tibetan list, the six paramis, the ten paramis, the last parami is equanimity. So this is what we can touch if we can learn to be simple, learn to sit with neutral experiences. And if we are not able to sit with unpleasant experiences and just feel the unpleasantness of things, our mind goes into the, a chronic state of aversion in many forms. of not liking, of irritation, of complaint, of judgment, of fear, of anger, of, you know, everything I've just described. And these are just, these stronger emotions are just hardened reactions, fleeting, the hardened version of fleeting reactions of not liking that often follows unpleasant experience. 
And we become increasingly reactive when we associate unpleasant with suffering. And think that if something is unpleasant, something's wrong. Something unpleasant is not necessarily something wrong. It just comes with the territory. Life has, as the Zen tradition puts it, the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. If you don't have both, as Rumi put it, you're not one of us. As he puts it, the cure for pain is in the pain. He says good and bad are mixed. You don't have both, you're not one of us. So it seems like a very uninteresting thing. Oh, unpleasant. But if we're able to hover in that realm of just feeling something when it's unpleasant, when mindfulness, mindful attention, awakened awareness meets unpleasant, it serves as a it interrupts a whole cycle. It interrupts a chain, sometimes called the chain of causality. It interrupts a process that leads us into a state of distress. The moment that mindfulness meets that unpleasant experience, the chain is cut. It's not possible at the moment of feeling unpleasant, just the unpleasantness of something, whatever it is that's being felt as unpleasant, it's not possible to suffer and be aware of that in the same instant. And until you've tested this out, again, not adopting any of this as a belief system, but until you've studied this, practiced with this, Explore it a little bit. Whenever you remember to do this, what's the feeling tone accompanying my experience right now? Is it pleasant? Ask yourself right now as you're sitting here. So usually if it's, or is it, is it unpleasant? So if you're experiencing something unpleasant right now, it may be even just this Dharma talk might be, might have an unpleasant association for you. So you, usually if this has an unpleasant association, we'll say, oh, I can't wait till this Dharma talk's over. I did all of that and then it, the reaction goes into, we go into aversion and then we think that the reaction then creates a little internal pressure and the internal pressure then generates a little story that says, oh, I've worked so hard to get here, and he's talking about feeling tones. I thought this was all about the opening of the heart and illumination, and, and here I am talking about feeling tones. And then I'm, you know, I'm, you know I'm, I wonder whether I'll come back next week. <laughs> Pretty soon, I have, I'm in a state of distress. On the other hand, if I hover for a moment, take my attention off of the object, because the talk, or me, or whatever, and that the objects of our 
reactivity are endless. Any sense experience can be an object. In this case, it may be the Dharma talk. But if we take our attention off of the object for a moment and check in with that feeling tone that's accompanying it, which is a mental event, it's a reaction, it's an association based on, on conditioning, then we have an opportunity to not have to incarnate in that little dream world of a person who's not satisfied, who's got to be somewhere else or do something else or get away from that which is so unpleasant. And at least in, for that moment, the distress can be relieved. And this is all about, the whole of the Buddha's teaching is about relieving distress. It's about the cessation of mental suffering. No one can avoid the physical pain, all the things that are hard to bear in our life, but we have within us the capacity to avoid all manner of distress that is not so much about what it is that's happening, but it's about how it is that we are reacting to what's happening or relating to what's happening. And so this may seem kind of strange to, to hover around our feeling tones. It's not very sexy, but it really is the, the ground in which either suffering is generated, distress, or whether freedom is experienced. A sense of relief, a sense of, of being able to settle into um, to a, um, a capacity to be at home with ourselves wherever we are. Not have to be so much at the effect of sights, sounds, smells, tastes, body sensations, moods, at the effects of all the external drama of this world, which is just so painful and so challenging to keep our seat. So we start small by, by Tuesday night. How unpleasant can it be? But hang out there. Feel it. Or if it's pleasant, feel that too. Let everything become the cause of your balance and non-reactivity growing here and now. This is where the rubber meets the road, right? At that moment of feeling tone. I also mention this because this is, this feeling tone is the, what's called the second foundation of mindfulness. The first foundation of mindfulness, what the Buddha spoke about was mindfulness directed to the body. You know, it's not possible to notice the feeling tones if you're not, you don't have your mind in the same location as your body. Second foundation of mindfulness, these feeling tones. Since we don't always stay with just the feeling tones and the, our mental reactions develop into attitudes, into strong moods or emotions, the third foundation of mindfulness is mindfulness of all the mind objects, the mind states, the attitudes, the moods. We learn how to meet those with mindful attention 
both notice them and feel them. If we're able to accommodate our feelings, our attitudes, especially the attitudes of, of aversion and grasping and the, the tendencies to personalize everything, if we can notice that our mind is, is doing what it does, then even those things that, those reactions, those what are called the poisons that, that make our, that can turn our life into a nightmare, we stop mixing them. We stop mixing those ingredients. We, we even though, even our, our most negative attitude becomes the, the cause of our awakening, because the manure becomes a source of interest, becomes even a source of peace. I have a, I'm, I notice in my practice, I'm sitting one day, and I've decided to have a practice. I've tried, decided to have a daily practice. But I notice that when I'm practicing, I'm trying to make something happen. I'm straining, trying to get somewhere. I'm trying to quiet down. Any of you ever noticed that? This is just an attitude of mind. This is greed in the mind. This is a cause of distress. Because I, I think I have a memory of a pleasant meditation experience. I had beginner's luck. <laughs> and I've now projected it as the, that, that experience that I'm going to, I'm going to get back there. I'm going to replicate that. And I'm going to, it's going to even be better the next time last longer and then I'm sitting there and I'm straining and all I'm getting so tight getting so exhausted and then I notice oh this is greed in the mind I'm trying to make something happen here this is a this is one of the three poisons one of the three root causes of suffering I see it I don't just know it as a theory I actually feel it and it's wearing me out this being caught in the state once I notice it, I feel that. Oh, this is a chronic state. I'm always trying to make something happen. That's, it's painful to be in a state where I'm always trying to make something happen. And then potentially, that moment becomes the cause of, of compassion, self-compassion, for how bound up I've been, just unknowingly, in a constant state of searching waiting, hoping for that great meditative experience or whatever it is that your object of desire is. So the, the very state of mind that has tormented me becomes my, the cause of the tenderizing of my heart and the awakening of my consciousness. Because once at attention meets that experience, attention is intelligent. It knows it doesn't help to strain to make something happen. All that does is create tension and misery. All search for happiness is misery and leads to more misery. That the only happiness that we can call happiness is the natural happiness of being conscious, not of straining to get somewhere. But the paradox is that only those who strain tend to realize this. So don't give yourself a hard time about it. It's the way we're it's the way we're conditioned.
The same with at some point in the day, you're at work and you start to get a little whiff. I'm in a funk. I've got my attitude and then I'm, I'm just everything, everybody's irritating me. Everything is bugging me. The wrong people are in charge. They're all taking over the world. Everybody is so self-centered. Everybody. And then I may, in the course of my, my little diatribe on the world, I may notice, oh, I'm really in a state of reactivity. So awareness may shine through. I may f notice that reactivity. I may notice also how unpleasant it is. But that, that, that reactivity, if I feel it, it will, it will, it, it, it gets interrupted. It cannot, it's not getting any fuel because attention takes the fuel out of whatever I'm experiencing. And then I, I experience that sense of irritation. I, I may even, that may even be the cause of dropping into what may be another kind of engine for, for the irritation I'm feeling. I may be on the threshold of feeling, I may be feeling lonely actually. But while I was in that complaining mind, I was sure that it was because the world is, is going to hell in a, in a hand, whatever the expression is. <laughs> hell on a bobsled or whatever. But, I, but what was really the engine is, I'm feeling sad and lonely. My heart's broken because so many people are suffering in this world. And that feeling kind of brings me back to the heart of compassion. But had I not noticed the state of mind that I was experiencing, had I not interrupted it with awareness, not suppressed it, not stopped it, but I stopped acting it out in terms of, fan, uh, in terms of my spinning of my mind, stopped going away from myself, and came home. Dukkha, all these states are the springboard to nirvana. So my practice is to the extent that I can remember, I have a practice, is to mostly pay attention to the state of my mind, but also to pay attention to pleasant, unpleasant, and neither unpleasant, neither pleasant or unpleasant. And my uh, further practice, my practice is to be be attentive, to be kind, and, uh, and to renounce my smartphone as much as I can remember. <laughs> so what is your practice? I'll, I'll read the questions once more. What are you practicing? Because everything we do from the moment we wake up till the moment we go to bed is also practice. We can either be practicing greed, hatred, or ignorance, or we can be practicing wisdom and love. So how is your practice a practice? Or what makes your practice a practice? And is there a destination for your practice? 
or or are you here already? Does you tr does your practice take you further from your destination, or does it bring you closer? Well, let's just sit quietly. I think we'll end with a prayer from St. Francis. To me, this is a very, it's an inspiration to practice, to awaken. You can substitute Lord, or you can use Lord, or you can substitute Lord for life. Or, oh Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hatred, let me put love. Where there is resentment, let me put forgiveness. Where there is discord, let me put unity. Where there is doubt, let me put faith. Where there is error, let me put truth. Where there is despair, let me bring happiness. Where there is sadness, let me bring joy. Where there is darkness, let me bring light. O Master, grant that I may desire rather to console than to be consoled, to understand rather than to be understood, to love rather than to be loved, because it is in giving that we receive, in forgiving that we obtain forgiveness, in dying that we rise to eternal life. May all beings have happiness and the cause of happiness May all beings be free of suffering and the causes of suffering. May all beings never be separated from the sacred happiness that is without sorrow. And may all beings grow in equanimity, serenity, be able to meet the inevitable joys and sorrows with less reactivity. And may our practice tonight and every moment of our life be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of each other. May all beings be liberated. May all beings be free. Thanks for your attention, thanks for your generosity, thanks for your presence. Hope to see you next week. Also, yeah, I think that next week I'm, is before the day long, right? Yeah. Anyway, thank you all. Be well. Notice your feeling tones.
zip the button. I did. Yeah, so it's uh Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.